pursuit of happiness. There's two reasons I'm excited. One is because I think this is one of the premier questions of your age. This is the question that is constantly always asked. We make songs about it uh, with Pharrell and others jumping around in 24-hour film clips. Uh, we make movies about it, like The Pursuit of Happiness. And if you want to be happy, don't watch that movie. Um, and ultimately, I think we base, in the end, our decisions on that question. What will make you happy? Uh, you'll find with your friends and others, uh, if you do something that they disagree with or find weird, they'll say, oh, whatever makes you happy. As long as you're happy, everything's okay. It's a premier question of your age, I think. And the second reason I'm excited is, is because we're going to spend four weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes. I still remember... When I was a student, way, way back ago, when I was your age, and uh, I was sitting where you are and someone else was standing where I am, and they taught through the book of Ecclesiastes, and I remember as a brand new or newish Christian, my mind was just blown by this book. Uh, Just how much it spoke into life as I saw it and knew it, and asked exactly the questions that I'm asking too. So I'm really excited. I want to pray for us, ask for God's help, and then we'll get stuck into it. We do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much again for your word to us, especially this time for the book of Ecclesiastes. We pray, Father, please help us think carefully about happiness and our pursuit of it, particularly so that we would love and honour the Lord Jesus. We pray this for his sake. Amen. Okay, here we go again. I I wonder uh, what you think about, you've already started discussing this, uh, when you think happiness. Uh, I didn't get to hear you, so I really do wonder what you would say. Uh, when you hear that word. In fact, I think what we'll do again, you've had a bit of a warm-up trial, kind of a general musing, so now we're going to hone it down. And what I want you to do, I want you to say the first thing now that comes into your head when I say the word happy. Okay, pick someone beside you. You're going to pick someone to talk to. Here it goes. You've got thinking time, so we're slightly cheating. Pick someone. You're going to lean your body towards someone now. Just help me out by doing this, at least one direction or the other. Okay, first thing that comes in your head when I say the word... Wait a minute. No, Happy. Help me, Jason. He's got the word happy there. Happy! Go! Anyway, it's word happy. Talk to the person next to you. It's not your fault. Okay, now I did say... I did say the first thing you think of, and it sounds like we're ranging on to the second and third thing. Can I get some answers? What's the first thing you think of when you hear... Smile. Smile. Okay, we've got a handsome man over here. Sad. We're learning something about characters. We say this as well. Anything else? Anyone else? Yeah, Tim. The sun. The sun. Sunshine. Sunshine. We've got a famous clip at home in my house where my one of my daughters was two and she said, Sunshine. You know. Anyway, it's become a saying in my house. Will, what do you think when you think happy? Oh, I think glad. Think glad. Oh, wasn't I thought you were going to say something Essendon related after yesterday. Of course, our minds go to all sorts of different uh, places when we think the word happy. And it turns out it's not just our minds either. In my uh, extensive research on Google for this topic, I found that there are whole websites and Facebook pages dedicated to happiness. And so here's what some of your world thinks. Happiness is an unexpected piece of chocolate. Happiness. Ryan, is that your happiness? No, that's Danny's happiness. That's Danny's happiness, okay. <laughs> happiness is travelling the world. Some of us are travelling the world in just a couple of months' time. Happiness is having a romantic man in your life. You'll notice more and more of these are fairly gender slanted, by the way. Um, <laughs> happiness is being financially independent. 
far off your hand for most of you right now, that's my guess. But it might make you happy. Uh, happiness is, this is a good one, I like this, because this is speaking into our culture, living for the moment. And uh, last but not least, happiness is just one more pair of shoes. <laughs> now, I don't know if uh, you resonated with any of those answers. Or if any of those were yours, did anyone identify exactly with any of those answers? You did, Tenny. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but but I, as we start, I really do wonder, uh, what do you think would make you truly happy? And, and I don't just mean superficially, kind of smile, chuckle, kind of happy. I'm not saying, what do you enjoy, slash chocolate. Uh, no, I mean deep down, like really deep, in the secret place, what for you would make life good, always? What for you would make life right uh, and all it should be? What really would make you deeply and truly happy? See, in the next few weeks, that's the question we're going to explore. In fact, I want to say that's what we're going to find out. We're going to find out the answer for you. Uh, from God himself in this book Ecclesiastes because in large part that's what this book aims to answer. We're going to find out what happiness is and here's the warning first. For the first number of weeks we're going to find out what happiness isn't. Okay, Here's the warning. There's bad news before there's good news. So let's have a look at it now. So the book of Ecclesiastes, you have it there in front of you. As it opens we're taken to the edge of a great assembly uh, or, or literally an ecclesia. And we're taken there to hear the results of the greatest research project of all time. A project with the potential to literally change your life. And as it opens, there's three things you need to know. Three things you need to know if you're going to understand, uh, and really importantly, believe the findings of this book. And they're written there on your outlines. They're the author, the aim, and the scope of the research. We're getting very university here. First, who's the author? And importantly, therefore, why should we listen to him? Well, according to Ecclesiastes, we should listen because this author is none other than the great King Solomon, uh, or at least someone just like him. Uh, why does that matter? It matters because he's equipped to work out the question he's going to ask. See, I wonder if you've heard the expression, the wisdom of Solomon. Well, that's this guy. Or if you like, the treasures of Solomon. Shows up in Indiana Jones movies and other things. That's this guy. The point is, this guy is eminently qualified, phenomenally researched. If you like, think Albert Einstein meets Rupert Murdoch, and then kind of mush them together, and that's this guy. Think your ultimate TEDx talk, and that's what's about to begin. So listen, Ecclesiastes says, listen to him. Listen as he sets his aim on discovering true happiness. See, what's the aim of his research project? Well, it's discovering what works in life. What satisfies in life. If you like, what makes sense of life. If you've been around Christianity and churches long enough, you may have heard it said that what Ecclesiastes is all about is the meaning of life. You see, I don't think that's right. Rather, what I think Ecclesiastes is about is meaning in life. Just slide that says that. Oh, they're all gone. 
In other words, Ecclesiastes asks, what is there in this life that we can hold on to uh, or, or build our lives upon or, or look to in the distance to steer the course of our lives? Uh, you may have heard it said that, that money makes the world go round. You've heard that said before. Well, Ecclesiastes will ask, is that right? Uh, you may have heard it said that all you need is love. Da, 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 da. Well, Ecclesiastes will ask, are they right? Is that where you find true happiness? See, that's the author, that's the aim. What's the scope? What, what if you like, are the limits of this research very important as you start your essays, limits of your research? Well, on the one hand, and I wonder if you noticed there in the verses, according to the teacher, they are massive. They're nothing short of everything. You see the word used there in verse 2? Everything. Uh, it's all things that are done, if you jump down to verse 14. Verse 14. All things. That is what this guy will claim to have tested. I mean, the scope of his research seems almost unlimited. And yet, it is severely limited. And it's really important you understand this. We're going to understand the book. It's limited, verse 3, to life under the sun. In other words, life here on earth. As if this is all we had to go on. Only what we can see and smell and taste and touch. You know, without a life beyond, without a God above. Now, it's not that our author doesn't believe in a life beyond or wants us to forget the God above. No, he just wants to, what he wants us to do is say, for the sake of experiment, for the, for the sake of, of research, let's just test this. In other words, let's do what so many right now out there in our world do today. Let's do what so many of us are tempted to do every day. Let's imagine there is only what we can see and smell and taste and touch and let's see if we can find just from this what we need to live a, well, a happy life. And that's what he goes on to do. We'll see in the next couple of weeks with, with things like wisdom and work and wealth and pleasure. This one most qualified, most able will test this life for meaning in life. He'll research this life for what can give you ultimate happiness. And what would we find if all we had was this? As so often so many of us, I think, assume. Well, he tells us right up front. Have a look at the verses there in verse 2. Here's his thesis statement. You'd find nothing cheerful way to start the first uh, talk on a series on pursuit of happiness. Nothing. See it, verse 2? Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? In other words, there is nothing in this life that can give meaning to this life. That's what he says. There is nothing in this life that can make you truly, everlastingly happy. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I can remember sitting where you sat all those years ago and listening. And I remember my thoughts were, but hang on a minute. That seems a bit harsh, dude, as you used to say back then. That's a bit depressing. Are you saying there's nothing worthwhile in this life? No, that's not what he's saying. Are you saying there's nothing good in this life? No, that's not what he's saying. Are you saying there's nothing real or valuable or fun in this life? No, that's not what the teacher's saying. What I'm saying, he says, is that there's nothing in this life that you can build your life upon. Nothing in this life that has the strength to hold your weight. So the, word, uh, the word translated meaningless there, there in uh, verse 2, it's a desperately important one for understanding this book. It's repeated something like 38 times in the book. And it comes from a Hebrew word that means vapor or um, breath. Um, and to understand it, think... I'm going to work this one. Yay. Think mist in the morning. That's mist, by the way, if you weren't sure. Uh, here in the a.m., but gone by the p.m. Think mist in the morning. That, that looks so solid when you see it from a distance, but when you get up close, you fall straight through. Think mist in the morning, and, and that's what life is like, says the teacher, life under the sun. Not, not that it's wrong or bad. In fact, very often it's very beautiful. It's just that like mist, so much of this life, indeed life itself, you can't hold on to it for long. It, it slips through your fingers. And if you try to sit on it, you fall straight through. And if you ever want to test it, wait for the next misty morning and give it a go, but do it by yourself somewhere private. <laughs> Mist in the morning, that's life, the teacher says. And through the rest of this book, that's what he's going to defend across various areas of life, because deep down, none of us believe him. But just for the moment, what he wants to convince us of is that's true for life in general. Because I think, again, some of us want to come back to the teacher and we want to say, no, you're wrong. My life's different, especially if you're an idealistic 20-ish year old. I can construct meaning by the difference I make, by the satisfaction I gain, the, the legacy I leave. That's how I'll find happiness. But again, the teacher says, no, you're wrong. Not even there will you find ultimate happiness. Why? Because try as you may, nothing really changes. Have a look, verse 4. Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. You know, I'm told at uh, Ayers Rock at the Uluru, uh, the local tourists used to call all the, all the guests, all the, all the tourists, uh, the local guides used to call the tourists ants. And at first that seems very, very strange until you go into the visitor centre and you watch the videos of all the tours that have gone before you. And you see the fast motion push, uh, footage of everything that's happened before you get there. Of the buses arriving and the people swarming out and up over the rock and back into the buses and off they go. And then the buses arrive and the people swarm out and up over the rock and back in the bus and off they go. And the bus arrives and the people swarm out and up over the rock and back to the bus and off they go. And all the while, the rock remains unchanged. And you see, so it is with this rock the author says. So it is with us. Have a look, verse 5. The sun rises. The sun sets. It hurries back to where it rises. 
the wind blows to the south and turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, and yet the sea's never full. To the place the streams came from, there they return again. The metronome of life just keeps on ticking. The circle of life just keeps on turning, and we come and we go, and nothing really changes. It's just like the old rocker, again, of my generation uh, used to sing, uh, Oh yeah, life goes on. Slightly more melodiously than that. Uh, Long after the thrill of living is gone. And see, that's what the preacher says. We come, we go, we make no difference. And again, if you ever want to test it, here's the plan. Don't come to uni tomorrow. And see if the buses keep running, the classes keep teaching, the teachers keep... Whether we're here or not, it seems to make no difference, says the teacher. With or without us, nothing really changes. And as it does, nothing really satisfies. See there, verse 8? I wonder if this has ever been your experience. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. One of my my favourite quotes is by an Aussie actor named Barry Humphreys from his autobiography, More Please. Uh, There's the rock. Uh, In it, uh, he says this. I always wanted more. I love this. I never had enough. Then he lists it. Milk or money or socks or sex or holidays or first editions or solitude or free meals or real friends or guiltless pleasure or neckties or applause or unquestioning love. Of course, I've had more than my fair share of most of these but it always left me with a strange sense of unfulfillment. And then he says, after all, where was all the rest? See, that's what life is like, says the teacher. Nothing really satisfies. But of course, again, none of us want to believe that, do we? We cling to the vaporish hope that, that it'll be different for us. The next big thing will do it for us. You know, the next gen iPhone. Or maybe the next stage of life. Or eventually the next promotion at work. Or I finally get that girlfriend, that boyfriend, that wife, that husband, that spouse, that child, that holiday, that house, that inheritance. Then I'll be satisfied. For me, it'll be enough. But then if you stop and think, you remember exactly what happened when you got your last iPhone or entered your last stage of life, got your last promotion of work or or when you came home again from the holidays. A great blog I read uh, put it like this. That's life under the sun. It's a life of inadequacy. A life where we're never as fulfilled and satisfied as we want to be. For for all the genuine joys this life brings, there's still and always a, a lingering sorrow that life is not and never will be what it ought to be. 
And I want to ask, have you ever felt that? One week after the new iPhone, two weeks after the next trimester starts. You know, when the music stops or your reception fails or the clouds come over or, or you're on your own. So here's the teacher's point. Nothing really changes, nothing really satisfies, nothing really lasts. Verse 9, he cheerfully continues. What has been will be again. What's been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, that's something new? Nah, it was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, even those yet to come, will not be remembered by those who follow them. Let me put it to you like this. Just think of your great-grandparents. In fact, put your hand up, actually, if you've ever had great-grandparents. And I don't mean were they living or dead. You've all had great-grandparents. So put a hand up. At some stage, you came from somewhere, you had a great-grandparent. Put your hand up. But then put your hand down as soon as you can't answer these questions, okay? What were their names? Don't know? Put your hand down. Where did they grow up? Don't know? Put your hand down. What did they do for a job? What did they do on weekends? What did they achieve that you still remember today? See, I want to say, if you don't know, if you don't remember them, you who actually more than anyone else in the world have a vested interest in them, without them, you're not here, who else will? And as it happened, happened to them, so it will happen to you, says the teacher. Nothing and no one lasts. And then finally, in our pursuit of happiness, final nail in the coffin, there's nothing you can do about it. We can't solve this. In an age where university tests prove, if you've watched the news, or scientists recently discovered, you can be fooled to thinking we can solve everything. We can discover everything if we just put our minds to it. We will discover happiness, but the teacher says, no, you can't. Verse 15. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, you can't fix what is bent in this world. You just don't have the wisdom. No offence, it's, it's all of us, not just you. And I'm the same. And you can't count what's, what's not there to be counted. There's no point thinking you just put all the pieces back together. We simply don't have all the pieces. That's the teacher's point. And pretending to do anything otherwise is just a, a chasing after the wind. Pretending anything otherwise will just bring you your pain. Uh, filmmaker Woody Allen uh, has this great, great quote in an interview just a year or two ago. He says this, I firmly believe, and I don't say this as a criticism, thanks Woody, uh, that life is meaningless. And I'm not alone in thinking this. There have been many great minds far, far superior to mine that have come to that conclusion. And unless somebody can come up with some proof or some example where it's not, well, I think it is. I think it's a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. And that's just the way I feel about it. Now, I'm not saying that one should opt to kill oneself, says Woody. But the truth of the matter is, when you think of it, every hundred years there's a big flush. And everyone in the world is gone. And then there's a new group of people, and, and that gets flushed. And there's a new group of people, and, 
And this goes on and on. And I don't want to upset you. Again, thank you, Woody. But toward no particular end, no rhyme, no reason. You see, I want to say, this teacher absolutely agrees. If all you have in this life is this life, if this is all you have to find true meaning and ultimate happiness, well then so says the teacher back in verse 2 again, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So you see, the question is then, what do you do with that? Well, first you realise this is the first talk in a series of three or four, so do come back again. They'll be different. See, happily, Woody Allen said, don't go kill yourself, to which we say, thank you, Woody. But what do you do? Well, I want to suggest three things, and they're there in your outline. And I hope these are things we can talk about later, because we don't have long enough now. First, you need to get real. You need to firmly resist the lie, no matter how loudly our culture sells it or how beautifully it wraps it. You need to firmly resist the lie that all this life is all you need to do life well. You must stop looking at your own significance or the difference you'll make or the legacy you'll leave to give meaning for life as a thing you can build on. You can't. It's a mist. You're a mist. I'm hoping this one comes. Do we have another one from James? I'll say it out loud. As Jesus' brother James will say, well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so stop pretending otherwise, says the teacher. Get real. Then second, I want to say, feel free. See, I don't know about you, but but this book, more than any other in the Bible, has always made me feel free. I don't know if you're feeling free now. Faces aren't telling me freedom, but maybe. Why? Because I want to say this book, more than any other, waves away the lie that this world's enough to make you happy. It waves away the lie that I must be doing wrong if I don't look as cheerful as every other person on Facebook. It waves away the lie that I must be wrong, that I feel like there's something more. Ecclesiastes says, no, you're right. If there's to be meaning and if there's to be ultimate happiness, there must be more. And so you see, as it tells you that, it actually frees you up to enjoy this life for what it is instead of looking in this life for what it cannot give. See, Ecclesiastes tells you to get real, to feel free, and finally... It tells you to look elsewhere. To look somewhere else other than this life to find real life. To look somewhere else other than this life to find what satisfies. To look somewhere else other than here and everywhere else on this earth for true satisfaction. Again, this is really important. The fact is, no matter what the advertisers, our culture, or Facebook, or even your friends tell you, true happiness will never be ultimately found in the things we find around us. It comes from somewhere else. For as many of you know who already know Jesus, it comes from someone else. From the one above who made all this and gave all this and then came to us that we might come to him. 
the same Jesus who said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. Buy a life like this. And I'll give you rest. I'll give you satisfaction. I'll give you meaning. Or as Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. But we did promise today's the bad news was the good news to come. So to hear more about that, you'll have to come back another week. So I hope that you will. For now, let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the truth of your word. It tells us what we need to hear. It tells us what's real and true. Father, we pray for all of us that we would indeed get real about where happiness is found, not believe the lies and the hype of culture, Facebook and everywhere else. We pray that we would genuinely then feel free, uh, released from the shackles of trying to find what cannot be found in places that it ought not be found. And Father, we pray most of all that we would look elsewhere, and in particular to the Lord Jesus, for true hope and satisfaction and joy. We pray these things in his name. Amen.